Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, we want to first of all tell you an announcement for next weekend. We are in this continual journey of being flexible with San Diego State. They've been incredibly generous to us as we are going to get to have our Christmas production and have some different times for that, but they've asked us to be flexible this upcoming week as we will be, uh, they'll be having some events here. So our services will be at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Say 11 and 1 So if you come for this service, you will be joining a different event with San Diego State. Uh, So make sure you show up at 11 and 1. We're continuing our series entitled Match Made in Heaven. And I think that most of you remember learning in grade school the laws of nature. Laws like what goes up must come. That's the law of gravity. Or Newton's third law, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. And we quickly start understanding that those govern our lives. The unique thing is there's one area that they don't, and that is our dreams. Uh, I have very vivid dreams. The other night, I climbed onto a picnic table in my front yard and started flying over my neighborhood. It was absolutely amazing. That was a dream, in case you missed that. But one of, my, one of my most epic dreams I ever had was that I was Indiana Jones. And as I was uh, Indiana Jones, you got to understand this was in college, and we had built lofts in our dorm room. We had a very small room, and so in order to have space to both study and sleep, we had bought, built lofts. We had put our beds about three feet from the ceiling, so I could reach out and touch the ceiling. Now thinking about it, I'm a little claustrophobic. I can't believe I did that. But in this dream, this one night, I was Indiana Jones. And you know the story of Indiana Jones. So often he's in a temple, he's getting an ancient relic, and then there'll be a booby trap that gets tripped, and the room will start closing in on him, or a giant boulder will start rolling after him. Well, this was just the case. And so as I'm in this dream, I grab a relic, and the ceiling has these massive spikes, and it's coming down to impale me. And so I do the only logical thing. Joel, could you hand me a chair real quick? I, um, I am laying there in my bed, and I realize, like, I'm on the ground in my dream. I've got to stop the ceiling from impaling me. So I quickly throw up my hands and start pushing on the ceiling as hard as I can. The problem is the ceiling's not going anywhere. It's not going back. And so I think I'm about to get impaled by a giant spike. I'm about to die. And so at that moment, I have this brilliant thought, I'm going to use my legs as well. And I'm going to kick as hard as I can, and certainly this will stop the ceiling from impaling me. So at that moment, I throw up my legs, and with all my might, in order to save my life, I kick. Now, the problem was, I'm three feet from the ceiling, which is drywall. And so as I kick, my legs actually go and kick through the ceiling. My legs disappear into the ceiling. 
At that moment, drywall's falling down, insulation's coming down, it's falling into my mouth, but I'm still asleep. I'm still in this other reality. I'm still in this dream. So at that moment, I look to my right in my dream, and I notice a trap door. So I lunge to my right. Now, the problem is I'm six feet off the ground in reality. And if you remember the law of gravity, what goes up must come down. So I fly through the air. The problem is I'm right level with the ceiling fan. So my head goes whack. I hit the ceiling fan. I break the ceiling fan. A blade flies across the room, slams into the wall. Now, you got to understand, I have a roommate. It's pitch dark in the room. So all he hears is, no, 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 ha! And then he hears, ah! Jump out, pap! Hit the wall, boom! Ceiling fan blade against the wall. At that moment, he turns on the light, and he starts screaming. My last name is Herbert. He starts going, Herbert, Herbert! He looks up. I'm gone, hole over my bed. He thinks that like a missile has come through our room and incinerated me. I, on the, meanwhile, am on the ground. I've landed like this. I'm spitting out pink insulation from the ceiling, and I'm holding my head because I've just knocked the ceiling fan off with my head. And I look up, and he looks up, and we look at each other, and we both go, oh, my goodness. No way. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what I thought reality was, I was still governed by the laws of nature and the law of gravity and the Newton's third law of every action having a reaction caused quite the damage in our apartment room. In fact, $200 later, the ceiling was fixed and I was a broke college student. The funny thing is two weeks later, I start to do it again. Like my roommate wakes up, he's still reading, and I'm, I put my hands on the ceiling, he starts screaming at me, no, no, <laughs> praise God, I didn't go through with it again. But here's what I find, I find that many of us are living in a, a non-reality, thank you so much, Joel, when it comes to relationships, that we are acting off what we've seen on TV, what we've read in some romance novel, or perhaps what we witnessed in our family of origin. And even if we try as hard as we can, we're still governed by these laws that the Bible sets forth. And until we understand them, we can't have a successful marriage. So today we want to talk about what we believe starting in the book of Genesis, are the irrefutable laws that govern relationships between men and women. Because if we understand the laws that actually affect us, we can be set up by God for tremendous blessing and prosperity. So the first law that we're going to talk about this morning is the law of self-worth. So in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
See, one of the greatest problems we see in relationships is people don't know who they actually are. And so they actually go into the relationship hoping that they will discover their true identity, where God has already stamped on us our true identity, and it comes in Genesis 1. It says that you are made in God's image. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. You know, you don't find your identity through a relationship. You find your identity through being made in the image of God. So let me explain that. When God says, let us, it's interesting because you wonder why he says, let us. Well, it's actually the Trinity talking. So when he speaks that, you need to understand you're made in the Father's image. Who is the Father? The Father is stable. The The Father is powerful. The Father is wise. And that is who you are made after. Let us make man in our own image. You're made in the image of the Holy Spirit. You are created to be a supernatural being. You are created to have answers that supersede natural wisdom. You are made for an intimacy, for for a, a, a deep communion with the Lord. And you're made in the image of the Son. You're made to be bold. You're made to be truth-oriented. You're made to be confident. You're made to be kind. You're made for close human relationships. And when we start with that place, we move from a place of confidence. I'm reminded of the very beloved children's tale called The Ugly Duckling, written by Hans Christian Andersen in the mid-1800s. And you have this egg that's hatched in a barnyard and this gangly bird that feels like an outcast because it looks at its siblings and thinks, I don't look anything like them. And so this bird lives a life of shame and a life of isolation and gets picked on because it's so unconfident, because it looks different. Finally, one day, after living all by itself, the bird has matured, and it looks out and sees this beautiful flock of swans on the lake. It's very intimidated by how powerful these majestic creatures are, but decides, you know, I'd rather go and and take a risk and maybe even be killed by these awesome birds than living a life alone. He swims out, to this flock of swans and is amazed when they accept him. And for the first time, he's back on water. He looks down and sees, I'm a swan. And the story ends by him spreading out his wings and flying off with this flock of majestic birds. So often we live a life of insecurity because we don't know who we are, whose we are, and what species we actually are. Do you know that you're a child of God? You're a child of God. That's where you get your identity. And when we enter into a relationship from that place, we come into a relationship from a place of security. Amen. I, I believe under the, the law of self-worth that this worth is found within the context of friendship with God. And man and woman were created by God, and then he put them in the garden, and they had fellowship with God. And it's within this context that we find out our value 
and our worth. And so if we are away from friendship with God, then we're always going to be searching. But when we turn our heart towards friendship with God, then I believe this is something that we continue to grow in. We grow in our understanding of our worth. I don't think it's just a one day, well, that's who you are. And then, okay, I'm set. I think it's something you grow in. It's a, it's a place of growing and understanding that. Um, and God wants to speak. He actually wants to speak that to you. He wants to speak worth over your life, and he wants you to hear it and to receive it and let it change you. Um, you know, God's voice is and it was and it always will be the most powerful voice that there is. In Psalm 29, it says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. It breaks the cedars of Lebanon. It actually breaks the cedars of Lebanon in pieces. And I just want to say, I've been to Lebanon several times, and I have stood among those cedars. And it's not just a little Tory pine. It is a majestic cedar that is so tall and so big, and you can't wrap your arms around it. And I can't even imagine that thing broken in pieces in an instant by the voice of God. God's voice is so powerful, and we need to let it have power in our lives. And so my question to you is, what weight does the voice of God hold in your life? And don't, don't just maybe be quick to answer. I want you to really think about that and really evaluate what weight does his voice really hold in my life? And do I believe that he wants to speak value over me? Jesus is alive, and he speaks, and he leads his sheep by his voice. He wants to lead you today into a greater place of understanding your worth. One morning as I was having my quiet time or my face time with God, I was having a harder time with some different relational issues, and I was just asking God for words or um, songs, and he actually gave me a, a song to sing over myself. And one of, the, one of the lines in the song, it went, Your voice is like a drop of rain that washes me. Oh, it washes me. And I would just sing. That was just one line in the song, but I would just sing the song. And as I came to your voice is like a drop of rain that washes me, I would just picture the words that God was speaking, just going from head to toe, just washing me. It actually says in John 15, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. There's a cleansing that happens in us when we allow the voice of God to hold the greatest weight in our lives. So the other interesting thing is when we understand that we're made in the image of God, it creates this dynamic where we treat each other differently. Because it's not just me that's made in the image of God, you're made in the image of God. So we enter into relationships differently. I remember watching my pastor, Jimmy, and how people were so intimidated to ask his daughter out because she was Jimmy's daughter. And they're like, wow, you are this impressive pastor and you're pretty intense. And wow, I don't want to mess up with your daughter, right? Now, how much more impressive is God than Jimmy? 
And how much more should we not want to mess up with his daughters? You see, we don't think of it that way, but when we understand that someone's made in the image of God, we start treating them with tremendous value because they are the child of the living God. Amen. I I would say, yes. You know, I think, um, well, first of all, just to add that, we want to affirm each other's worth, right? In relationship, we can affirm that you truly are worth so much. And women, I, I want to say the men in this body are worth so much. And maybe some of you in this room have a lot of pain from men or hate toward men. And I, I want to say God wants to cleanse that in your heart so that you can see the men of this body with eyes of worth and say, man, I want to affirm the worth that's on your life and I want to believe the best. There are great destinies in this room today. And as women, we want to get under and believe for those destinies to come to pass. We want to be women that affirm and are kind and don't tear down with our words. So speaking of worth, that brings us to law number two. Law number two is what we call the law of equals or the law of front opposite. We start in verse 27 of chapter 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Uh, what we believe is that men and women have equal value to God. And you might think, well, of course, that's plain and simple, but can I just tell you that there have been many church traditions that don't teach that. And then there's been a, a reciprocal response in our culture with a very uh, aggressive agenda to actually try to promote, well, no, actually women have a higher value than men. And what we see from Scripture is that men and women are both made in the image of God, and therefore they have equal worth to them. They are different, however, and that's why we call it the law of the front opposite. And we get that from Scripture. Look at Genesis 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the bird in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he had named them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found so the Lord caused man to fall into a sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, as we study this deeper, we look at the Hebrew words for these two very significant words. The first one we look at is the word helper, and the Hebrew word for that is ezer. The Hebrew word is ezer, which is interesting because it's not a servant role. Oftentimes when we read this Genesis text, we go, oh, Adam needed a servant to help him rule all of these wild animals in the garden. You know, he needed it for the orcopy and the giraffe and the hippo. He couldn't do it on him by himself, so he needed a servant. Actually, when you see the word ezer, the majority of times it's used in Scripture, it's used in, re in reference to, to God. So it puts a very high value of God as our helper, God as our partner. Now the second word in Hebrew is this, it's nejed. It's nejed, and that's the word suitable. And here is where we get this concept of the front 
opposite. God's saying, I'm going to create a front opposite. So let's actually model for you how we see this. Husband here, and what, what we know is that everyone is unbalanced in themselves, right? I mean, we might think I'm the only balanced person there, but truly, you're an unbalanced person, and you need a spouse to balance you. So it's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of like I'm leaning one direction, Steph is leaning in another direction, and we hold each other up. We prop each other up. I think about, uh, and she's strong, uh, I, and let me just tell you about this. This is one of the funny realizations I had. One day, I'm in the garage, and I'm playing with my son, Hudson. He's probably two years old at the time. It was raining outside, so I thought, he needs to get some energy out. I'm going to put his tricycle in the garage, and he's riding circles. And he gets stuck, and he didn't know how to back up. And so I go, I bend down to move Hudson. Didn't realize in your 30s you need to warm up. And so I, I move him like this. Next thing I know, I'm squealing like a little pig. And I have thrown out my back, and I fall on the ground. And Steph runs into the garage. I'm like, ah, screaming. What happened? I tried to move a tricycle. <clears throat> Steph goes, it's okay. I'll help you. She somehow grabs my right arm. Next thing I know, she has me in a fireman's carry, <laughs> completely over her back, and walks me out of the room. I'm going like, this is amazing, and lays me on the couch. I'm I really not that strong. It's just in moments like that, you know, like adrenaline takes over. It makes you do things you would never, ever be able to do again. You know, God has brought in marriage, he brings you an equal to partner with, to balance you out, to complement you. And it's so important for us to know because so many fights in marriage come because you don't see life the same way. Can I just tell you that's good? Because you don't see life balanced by yourself. I didn't get near as many amens <laughs> as I needed to get. What, what I find is that Steph so often compliments me in life and that I would be so much harder or I would be so much rougher or I would make a decision just with one viewpoint, but God has brought her to be my front opposite. And I need to value that people say opposites attract. Well, there's a reason you married your opposite is because you needed someone different than you to make you more like God. Amen. So Ephesians uh, 6.10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So when we hit battles in our marriages, it's not against each other. Now, you don't believe me yet. First, I want to say, if this is how we are called to be and to live, front opposites that hold each other up and strengthen, help strengthen one another in seasons where the other one maybe wants to give up, you better believe that the enemy is going to come after one of you and try to cut the legs out from under you, right? Because if one falls, the other one falls. Yep. 
And so as women, you must be strong in the Lord. That's not self-strength. That's God's strength. That's a yielding process to receive the power and grace of God. That's a weak position, not an aggressive possession or position. Okay, don't, don't be possessed. <laughs> I don't want to be possessed. Um, so, um, so you better believe the enemy is going to come after you, right? Um, but you have to remember that our battle is up here in the spiritual realm. In America, we, we want to avoid the spiritual realm a lot. We don't, we don't like talking about demons. You, you go to other nations and demons are kind of in your face, but here, like, let's not talk about demons. We want to believe in angels. We don't want to believe in demons. And so we've got we've to understand that there's both because there's a battle going on, and that's where the battle is. So it's like we ignore the battle, and when we ignore that the battle is up here, then we're not going to win, right? Because we're fighting it here, and we want to deck each other, and we think it's one here. It's not one here. It's one in the it's one in the spiritual realm. And so, ladies, we're never going to win the battle if we stand yelling within the context of marriage. If we stand yelling at our husband, cursing him out, telling him every way that he needs to change, that it's all his fault, saying things that are ridiculous and make anyone want to weep. That's not how we win the battle, right? We win the battle by recognizing, hey, there's a spiritual battle for my soul, for my life. The enemy is literally trying to slash me at my legs and take me out so that I will not be all that I'm called to be alongside this man so that we can see the kingdom of God advanced and to know God in the journey. I was having a really hard time in um, the first couple of years of of our marriage, there were a lot of relational um, expectations on us, and I, I'll go into that a little more in our next point, but I really had to make a decision, and I think we, we all, at some point in our marriages, we come to those places of having to make a decision, am I going to let the enemy take me out, and am I just going to be a, a weak soul that just needs so much from my spouse, or am I going to stand up and say, God, my strength is in you, and do what you need to do in me so that I can keep standing as a front opposite to encourage and support this man? You know, uh, obviously, we know that women and men are created differently, so you, you just look at that physically. We have different chromosomes. We, science has shown that man's majority of his strengths is in his upper body. A woman's is in her lower body. I could go on and on in the physical or uh, anatomical differences, but here's an interesting one. Where women physically uh, want to be treated more gently, like if I, if I touch Steph's hair, sometimes she's like, ah, that hurts. You can like hit me on the head and I don't even feel it. But in the same way a, a woman wants to gently be treated her, uh, on her body, a man's spirit and ego is as equally tender. And so many times we don't know that, is that even though a man on the outside might be more physically tough and want to go out and play football and bash his head against someone else's, his heart is equally as tender. And so that's so important for us to understand when coming together in marriage. Let's talk about law number three. Law number three, so critically important, we call it the law of highest Priority, the law of highest priority, or the law of leaving 
and cleaving. This comes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. God's created man and woman, and then it says this in verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so we've been talking about different aspects of men and women that can apply to singles, can apply to dating relationships. This is pretty focused on engagement and marriage right here. Uh, Here's how the majority of relationships go. The first couple of years in marriage are usually great, and then satisfaction in marriage actually goes down a little once there are numerous children, and then it's often at its lowest when children are in their teen years, and the reason why is because it's given the least priority. Focus is so much on other things, and then you see uh, a massive amount of divorces once the children leave the house because the parents don't know how to relate to each other anymore, and that is why this law of highest priority is so critically important, is that we have to prioritize over every earthly relationship our relationship with our spouse. We have to learn to leave and cleave. Um, here, Joel, come here for a second. This is really important because we have, to, we have to have as our primary relationship, our most important relationship, our relationship with our spouse. Now watch this. If I am holding on to Joel like this, it is very hard for me to give any attention to Steph over here, right? And so my, my buddy can't be my closest relationship. And you're all thinking, oh, yeah, sure, that's, that's fine and good. I mean, who's going to make Joel your primary relationship when you can have Steph? It's a good word. <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Joel. But, but here is the problem. Oftentimes, we have as our primary relationship our mother or our father or our sibling or our sports buddy. And in order for this to become my primary relationship, that means I have to move and I have to transition. That's why scripture says to actually leave and cleave. I had said before, I was going through a hard time in the first couple years. Well, um, there were several things that were, were challenging me, challenging for me in that season. Um, you know, with work, we were around the same relationships every day. And there was one relationship in that situation that started getting really hard for me. And I started believing lies of self-worth. The voice of the enemy was getting louder and louder in my life. And I knew a lot of those things were lies, but it felt like um, he wasn't um, giving me the attention I needed, honestly. I I thought, does he value what I say? Is this, Um, I'm just being very vulnerable. On the other side, there was family, and we were with family, family a lot, and family's wonderful, but I think I started questioning, um, you know, is he prioritizing me? Like, am I getting pri- priority, or am I just a number, another member of the family where I was longing to feel prioritized? I think every, uh, you know, I love that song that just came out, or maybe it's been out for a long time. I'm, I can... Um, be kind of behind the times, but the no lie you won't uh, tear down, no wall you won't kick down, or mount, I mean, you just picture like, 
um, you know, your knight in shining armor running up the mountain um, towards you. Like there's, I don't think any woman here wouldn't want like someone to bust, man to bust through a wall for them and do anything for them, right? And obviously that song's about God. Like he wants to tear down your lies. But I, I realize that. But I'm just saying. I'm like thinking about what, what wall I can bust down in our house <laughs> today, you. this afternoon. Oh, ceiling. That's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Anyway, I mean, who, does, who doesn't want that, right? Or I don't know what it is for men. Like, I don't, I don't know, but maybe you could. I could tell you later. Okay, you tell me later. Um, I'll, I'll bust down a wall for you if you want. But okay. Not really what I was wondering. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, okay, I don't, anyway. All that to say, I was going through a hard time. So again, because the battle is not him and me and I'm not going to win it by saying okay this is what I need different this is what I need to need you to change this is how I need you to treat me and what to say to me that's just that's not how we operate and I knew that my goal my whole goal in life is to know God that is my whole goal in life and so this th our hardships can't aren't going to get in the way if our goal is to know God. It's actually an opportunity for us to reach more of our goal. And so I, I said, you know, and this wasn't the first battle I was fighting to overcome in my journey with God. So I had done this before with another battle. And I said, God, this is, so this is what I do when I, when I hit places of hardship. I say, God, what's your strategy for me? How do I overcome I am an overcomer, so how do I do this? And I ask God what the strategy is. Well, in that season, God speaks to me in invitations a lot, and so he invited me into a season of increasing my time with him in the morning. And so I would spend a long, um, long amounts of time with Jesus in the morning so that I could fall more in love with him, so that his voice could become louder in my life. Because I knew these issues were trying to take me out, and I wanted to change. I wanted to be the first to change and say, God, what in me needs to change so that I can be a healthier opposite for him? Because clearly there's a place of my worth that I need to understand more before you. Amen. I love what Jimmy Evans, uh, author of Marriage on the Rock, says. He says there's four ways to prove priority. So this might be good to write down. Uh, number one, sacrifice. Number one, sacrifice. So what will I give up? For you, if a spouse feels like something has a higher priority, then they don't have the intimacy that you're created for. So, here's a real practical. Uh, I see this oftentimes in women. If you are talking to your mom every day on the phone for an hour, then you don't have the emotional need to connect with your husband. So sometimes we have to uh, give some space so that we actually feel the need for our spouse, right? Yeah, men, if you come home and the first thing you're wanting to do is just check out and be in sports center, then your wife feels like what he really needs is sports, not me. So what are we willing to sacrifice? I'm not saying to have, not have healthy relationships with your family. I'm not saying to not have healthy hobbies. But what I am saying is your spouse needs to know their priority and sacrifice. Secondly is time. Will I consistently invest quality time in this person. That speaks of priority. Third is energy. Will I actually do things? Will I actually put my focused 
best energy into this person. And lastly, his attitude. Well, I do it and then do those things not begrudgingly, but actually be thankful with a happy heart that I get to prioritize my spouse. Yeah, I think, women, I want to speak to that issue of, you know, he had mentioned guys being checked out on Sports Center. I just want to say, if your husband doesn't open up to you, I, I want to encourage you that he does want to open up to you. And I think that you have some keys to help unlock what's in his heart and to help him. Maybe he didn't grow up really processing life, but he wants to. And so instead of, if when he comes home at the end of the day, instead of spilling all the challenges and problems you have, I want to encourage you to see that as a time where you can welcome him into the home in a safe place and in a place where you can comfort and give him what he needs after a, a hard day. I just want to say if you're single right now and you're going like, this totally doesn't apply to me. No, we're totally giving you a cheat sheet to <laughs> enter into marriage knowing what to do. We're going to let us pay your stupid tax for you. All right, law number four. Last one, law number four, the law of blessing, the law of blessing. You need to understand the first thing that God does when he's created man and woman. It comes from Genesis 127. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. So before they have done anything, before they've named any animal, before they've fertilized any tree, before they've planted any new seeds in the garden, God blesses them. Do you understand that the first thing that God wants to do when he sees you is bless you? I, I, I say it many times in the morning, my children's bedrooms are down the hall and they have to walk past my study before they get to the kitchen and they have done nothing. And as soon as I see them walking past, I'm like, hey, 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 hey. I mean, they're, they're pretty trained to come and let me hug them. But if they ever try to get away from me, I'm like, uh-uh-uh. No, this is how we start the day. And they walk in, and I wrap them in my arms, and I tell them I love them. They have done nothing. In fact, they look like a mess, and they got a little stinky puppy morning breath. And, and yet I wrap them up, I hug them, and I love them, and I shower blessing on them. Do you believe that that's how God sees you? Do you believe that you start from a place of blessing? That's how things were set up in the Garden of Eden. God was already blessing them. He was already providing for them. He was already setting them up for success. See, when you don't believe this, and in fact you believe the contrary, that God is holding out on you, that's what leads to sin. That's how we got in this whole mess called the fall of man is because Adam and Eve didn't believe that God had their best in mind. And so what we see, if you look in Genesis 3, it says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from this fruit, from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see what happened to them is that the enemy lied and said, God is holding out on you. 
There's something that he's not giving you. Can I just tell you that when you believe those lies in your relationship, it will destroy your marriage. And this is how it affects singles. We often think, well, I don't have a relationship right now, so God must not be good to me. Well, let me just tell you, there are many things that I hold back from my kids. Oh, you are such a mean father, Robert. No, I'm a wise father. Like, I, you're not going to believe this, but I haven't given my kids a car yet. Well, my kids are 14, 12, 10, and 8. But, but that would be so fun to have a car. Yeah, it would be, but they don't know how to drive, so they kill themselves. Sometimes God, in his love, is holding things back until you're ready. And then when you get it, it's a gift, not a danger to you. You see, God always has our best in mind. God always has our best in mind. And, and what happens is when we don't believe that God's a God of blessing, we have two ways of responding. The first is in apathy. So in the garden, you see man's big problem, the reason we got in all this mess, is man is apathetic. And if you don't believe me, here's the deal. Adam's sitting there, and a snake comes and starts talking to his wife. Okay, where I come from, if a snake comes up to my wife, I kill it. All right, that, that's like not good, like snake coming up to my wife. But Adam just kind of sits back. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what this snake wants from my wife. And just watches it. Can I just tell you, men, so often our tendency is to be apathetic in relationship. And what happens is the enemy's able to get in through our apathy. Now watch on the flip side, women can be manipulative. And so when the man's apathetic, the woman's like, I I'm not going to get what I want if I don't do something about it. So I'm going to get in there and I'm going to say all kind of things and I'm going to manipulate my way to get what I need. Instead of trusting, no, the Father will give me what's best if I trust him and operate within his confines. At the right time, he's going to give me what's best because that's who my dad is. So I just want to address the, the heart in the law of blessing. Um, you know, blessing comes from a place of obedience. And um, we want to have a heart of obedience to God. And God wants to bless your heart even, starting with your heart. We mentioned, I think last week, uh, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. He wants to start with blessing your heart so that what from, flows from your life will be rivers of living water. And I just want to mention two, I think, attacks that the enemy comes against um, us with so that we won't obey and that we won't be blessed. And so two things um, is offense and disappointment. And when we um, just, we're called to walk in close community with each other, right? And just naturally one of the things that can happen in close community is we can get offended by um, something someone says or, or does. Um, and so there's a proverb in Proverbs 18. It says, an, un, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. That's a big deal. An offended brother or sister is more unyielding than a fortified city. There's a wall that goes up in our heart when we get offended. 
And so it walls off our heart from people and from God. And when we have those walls of offense, we can't receive the blessing of God to our hearts and then external blessings as well. And so it walls us from truly receiving blessings of joy, blessings of hope, blessings of faith. And um, so I want to encourage you, if, if there's things that you've been offended by, which, I mean, let's be real. I've been offended by comments. I think every one of us would say, yep, there's been offense. It's just simply recognizing that and give, extending grace and forgiveness and not letting that be a wall in our heart. And so second thing is disappointment. Every single one of us in this room have disappointments. Like we get disappointed. God, why, why this? Why not that? Why this person, not me? There's just disappointments that we carry. And so we don't want to carry them and then have another wall built of disappointment again so that we can't receive the blessing that God wants to give us. And so God wants to bless you. But I want to say there's to be a wall of salvation around your heart and gates of praise. And so if if that's a struggle for you, if, if you're like, what is she talking about? All you need to do is just worship, okay? When offense comes, you need to worship. When disappointment comes, you need to worship and allow for God to come and you to find strength and salvation in him. So let me conclude with this. Let me go back to the original language one more time and point out some revelation that I think will help you. After the fall, the product is this. God proclaims on them what's going to happen because of their sin. This is in Genesis 3.16. He talks to the woman. He says, your desire will be for your husband. What does that mean, your desire will be for your husband? That, you think, oh, well, that's a good thing. A wife's going to want her husband. But if you look at the word desire, it's this Hebrew word, teshugwa, and that means have a craving. It's not a holy, reverent desire. It's a, it's a lusty, it's a, a craving, it's a more carnal desire. In singles, how does this manifest itself? You've probably seen this in some women that they have to have a relationship. It's like they're a mess unless they have a relationship, and that's all they talk about all the time. And you see it also in marriage where this woman, she's like, I, I have to, my husband has to give me this. He has to pour more into me. He has, to, he has to show me more attention. And they're never happy because they're always needing their husband to do something because their husband becomes their all in all. That's the product of the fall. On the flip side, it says this, and he will rule over you, meaning the husband. He will rule over you, and that's not a good thing. It's the word mashal, which means to control or have dominion. And so the product of the fall is actually for husbands to get annoyed with their wives and to want to beat them down, to want to put them in their place, to want to get them to shut up and just do exactly what they want. And you got to understand that this is a tendency that has come in us in our fleshly nature because of the fall of man. And once you recognize that, then we can respond in the opposite spirit. We can respond by a woman not saying, I'm craving my husband. If my husband would just change, then I could be happy in life. Do you understand if your husband never changed, you could be happy in life if you get happy in God? Oh, I'm going to have some happy wives in this house. And husbands, you think, well, I, my wife is just driving me nuts. I just need to control her. I just needed to get her to shut up. I just need her to stop shopping. <clears throat> no. You know, if she never stopped shopping, you could still be at peace. 
people are like, I don't believe that. That's impossible. There's no way. No, it actually is possible because you'd find your peace in God. And you'd find that you don't need to control your wife. You can give that to the Lord, right? It's all about us surrendering fully to Jesus. Why don't we stand up?